1: There, this week, as every week, we're working our fingers to the bone to give you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing career. And this evening, we have a very special pre recorded program. I'm off in the hinterlands of Ohio teaching people about what's going on in the market, but I wanted to make absolutely sure you all got to hear from tonight's guest before the big upcoming National Real Estate Summit, which you have heard a lot about here on Real Life Real Estate over the last few weeks and months, and uh, so we decided to uh, go ahead and pre-record a program for today so that you could take advantage of some very deep and wide experience uh, by today's guest in the creative finance world. My guest is Augie Bylot. He specializes in uh, various types of seller financing deals and has, in fact, bought almost 600 houses without cash or credit. And we're going to talk to him today about how he goes about doing that every day and unfortunately will not be able to take your questions of course because again pre-recorded program he's joining us from his home in florida augie welcome to real life real estate
0: well dean it's so great to be here thanks so very much
1: and I'm, i'm i'm so glad we could we could fit you in because this uh this thing about buying without banks um i don't know it seems to like it seems to like wax and wane in popularity over the years as banks get more and less generous and how they will, how they will go about financing properties. I know when I first got into the business back in the late eighties, if you didn't know creative finance, you just weren't buying houses.
0: And, That's then, true. and then it came again <laughs> after the market crash. Exactly.
1: And then, and then it got to the point for a while there where you could show up at a bank with your driver's license and no down payment and no credit, <laughs> and you would, you could still walk out with a loan. And it was like you know a lot of a lot of people who'd gotten into the market in that period just sort of forgot there was such a thing as creative finance. And then the cycle turned again, and banks got super duper picky and had very high down payments and credit requirements, and. It all came roaring back, but my feel is uh, with the number of houses you've bought creatively, you probably just kept on doing it even when it wasn't the thing.
0: Yeah, well, that's true, Vina. Um, And I have nothing against banks. You know, some people think I'm like the anti bank guy. I was actually a banker for 22 years, and investment real estate is what set me free. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that our primary job at least my primary job, I shouldn't try to make this everybody's primary job. But if they help sellers that want to get their house sold either quickly or maybe they have some situation that just doesn't make them an ideal candidate for traditional sales. And so I've got a lot of different ways that I can structure a transaction that can meet both the needs of the seller and my needs as well. You know, my whole philosophy on investing is what they call win win. And that, to me, isn't just, you know, something that sounds good, but it's really setting out with what's going to be something that can help the seller and also allow me to earn a profit. Mm-hmm. As long as the deal is mutually beneficial and we're operating within the law, well, then we should be as creative as possible. Mm-hmm. And it's for me, it's proven to be, uh, I don't know, my magic bullet, if you will. Now, and j- it works in all markets.
1: Just, just rising, to, falling, and flat. Just to just to give the uh, listeners some perspective here, uh, you work primarily in the Central Florida market, right?
0: That's correct. That's correct.
1: And you you started uh, you started in real estate when?
0: Well, I actually started back in the uh, early mid '80s, when uh, the first house I ever bought was not creative, and I went and got a mortgage from a bank, and I paid fourteen percent interest because that was just post the Jimmy Carter administration, rates went through the roof. And when I refinanced down to 10% a few years later, I thought I had gone to Nirvana. (laughs) (laughs) But I've been seriously investing uh, for probably about the last 15, 16 years in the Central Florida market after leaving New York. Mm -hmm. And um, we've been very successful. And I think it's been a result of two things. One is taking the time to learn what a seller's needs are, and then coming up with some solutions. And we use the word creative, but probably a better terminology would simply be a non-bank alternative. Mm -hmm. And And so we have five different ways that we typically can structure transactions that don't involve a bank.
1: And I definitely that's that's what I want to spend most of the show on is all the, all the different ways that you can do this <laughs> that don't involve okay. the bank but uh I, I, again, just in the kind of getting to know you uh phase of our conversation here um w- when you when you buy these houses, what is your primary exit strategy for them
0: Well it depends how I buy is going to dictate what I do with the property if I have to sink a bunch of cash into it, whether it's my cash or someone else's cash, nine times out of ten, I'm going to flip that property. I'm going to renovate it. I'm going to sell it quickly. And depending on how I came up with the cash, that's also going to dictate whether I'm going to sell it on some sort of a terms situation or whether the new buyer is going to have to go to a bank and get a loan. When I buy on terms, if I'm buying the property in an area that I really like, then typically I'm going to hold that property Mm long-term. And if it happens to be a property that's out of an area where I want to hold long-term, what I may do is arbitrage whatever terms under which I buy the money. I mean, I buy the property. And so I may be able to buy it on terms and also sell it on terms. Okay. So those are really the three exit strategies. One is to simply buy it and sell it. The other two are buy and hold, or buy and sell on terms. Uh And And when I buy and sell on terms, I'm typically going to do a lease with an option type of transaction, or some people refer to it as rent to own, so that I can season my buyer, I can kind of qualify, get to know who they are. And then it also allows me to rent the property for at least 12 months and then qualify for long-term capital gains treatment on my profit. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So lots of, lots of avenues to explore here. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Augie more specifically about some of the ways in which he solves sellers' problems without having to go to the bank. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Augie Bylot. If you're noticing that I'm not giving out the usual phone numbers and emails to send in questions, that's because the show today is pre-recorded. So just just sit back, relax. Don't don't worry about you know coming up with all kinds of questions, because we got it covered here today. Uh, Augie is a well-known creative buyer, um, big fan of strategies that don't require him to go to the bank, but give him the money to either buy properties to flip or uh, buy them to hold medium to long-term and works down in the central Florida area. And, and Augie, I gather just from what you said before the break that it's uh, m- mostly single-family homes that you work with?
0: That's correct. Predominantly single-family homes. Okay. Occasionally we do small multifamily, but our primary focus is single-family. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, so let's let's dig into what what listeners really want to hear here. You you mentioned that you have sort of five ways of structuring these deals that don't involve ever having to go and make an application to a lender and put down their down payment and pay their interest rate and all that sort of thing. Can you can you quickly just go through what those are and then we can pick out a couple of them to further talk about?
0: Sure, I'll be happy to. I actually use an acronym called SCOPE, S-C-O-P-E, and those are the five, it stands for the five different ways I like to buy properties without using a bank. The first is probably my all-time favorite, and that's with seller financing. And the second is with cash, and the cash doesn't have to be my own. Sometimes it comes from private sources. Sometimes It comes because the seller may sell to me on terms with a note and at closing simply sell the note to a prearranged note buyer and that gets them their cash and it gets me in the ability to create a payment stream. Sometimes I use options to simply control a property until I can then turn around and sell my option if that's the best solution and sometimes I will couple that option with a lease that allows me to control the property. And the way we structure the option will dictate whether or not I can control both the amortization and the appreciation. Mm-hmm. So options are another tool. And then C is, uh, with the S-C-O-P is private money. And we can structure private money a few different ways. One is a simple loan. Other times we can do equity participation arrangements that allow other people to joint venture with me to share in the profits in the form of equity rather than simply interest. And then E is using the existing financing. Mm-hmm. There are times when we can simply step in, make the payments until we do something else with the property and the original mortgage gets paid off.
1: Okay. Okay. So that's, that is a, that is a whole lot of... Um... Potential <laughs> yeah, potential so ways is. to do things now i'm gonna assume that with with any given deal, once you have spoken to the seller and sort of figured out what their situation and needs are, you're not then dropping five offers on that seller you're, you're no not, you're not you're,
0: ever not ever i'm typically I am typically gonna let them know that I'm happy that I have come up with three different ways that I can purchase their property. And the reason I like to use a multiple offer scenario is because many of these people, you know, are what you might call a distressed seller, and they may have been getting beat up by lots of people or just having a tough time in their life, and they feel a little bit like they've lost control. So when I let them know I'm gonna present multiple offers, I do it because I want them to choose the offer that makes the most sense for them and their family.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: you know, it's since I've been doing that, and I've probably been doing it for, I don't know, 15 years, the response has been exceptionally good. Because they don't feel like, you know, I'm some investor who just says, look, here's my low bull offer, take it or leave it. And so I think it's given us the ability to have a pretty good closing ratio. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, the results, I guess, speak for themselves, we've been able to do quite a few transactions.
1: Yes, 600 is a lot of transactions for any human being to have done of any sort much less much less with the uh, with none of that none of that 600 being bank loans. I mean that's that 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 puts you probably in the top half a percent of real estate investors in terms of your experience in regards to uh uh creative finance as we call. It. We got to come up with a better term than that.
0: Because... Yeah, that's why I like non-bank financing, <laughs> bankers would be offended by that. And I'm not looking to offend anyone. Yeah, but there's... the reality is, you know, when it comes to banks, you know, I, I talk to lots of investors who, you know, follow the idea of, you know, get a property, do something with it, hold it for a while, then refinance it with a bank. And that's all well and good when banks are lending, but still, you're tying up 30% of your equity and i look at return on cash as one of my significant measures for profitability and for growth because growing one's wealth really is dictated by the returns we get on the capital that we invest and if i can produce significant returns without tying up a lot of capital or i can leverage that capital over a large volume of assets I'm going to always get a much, much higher return. Mm -hmm. I look more at yield, actually, than return. Because return typically is, you know, how much interest did I make? And in Florida, the most interest you can charge on anything is 18% before you hit the usury ceiling. But getting 100% cash on cash return is not in the realm of impossibility. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I tend to look at a lot of these investments. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Let's go back to this. Let's go back to this multiple offer strategy of yours. Okay. Because that's a that's a a term that gets thrown around a lot. Like I hear it out in the real estate association world a lot, and I get the feel that a lot of people hear it and then they don't really understand what the purpose of it is. Because okay, that's, that's I'm, a
0: really good question, I'm, Nina, I'm, and I am glad that you asked it. Because I think it, a lot of newer investors, especially folks that are just starting out, they hear this, it doesn't make any sense to them. I want to buy the house. I want to offer a price, and that's really it. But when we offer prices, we can offer three different prices that are all beneficial to us. It's just a matter of which exit strategy we might end up using, depending on which offer is accepted. I'm always going to make a cash offer when we advertise, when we speak to people, you know, in the public, we say guaranteed cash offer. So that's um, something I I will always honor. And when I'm presenting my offers, I give them the the seller a framework. I say, we're going to give you an offer that's all cash, just like we promised. That's going to be our lowest offer. We're going to give you another offer that's going to have some cash and either some installments or a lump sum in an agreed. Period of time. And the third offer, which is going to be our highest offer, is if you don't need the cash right now, we can either give you a series of installments. And this works particularly good when you're buying rental properties from a tired landlord, somebody who's looking to retire. Those are an ideal candidate because why did they invest in the first place? They wanted cash flow. Mm-hmm. I can help them keep the cash flow without tenants, termites, toilets, or trash. And so First, we lay out what the office will look like, then we'll feather in the numbers, okay? Because I'm going to buy my cash properties, I have to buy them at a discount because my likely exit is going to be short term. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to flip it. And so I don't have time for the market to reward me with appreciation. And it's also not like I have a loan that's going to give me time to build up amortization, which are two ways long-term investors create wealth. So if I'm in this at a short-term, which is not typically my first choice, but we've done a lot of deals this way, I know that my exit is gonna be dictated by the choice that the seller makes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm fine with that. But if they take either of the other two offers, some cash now, or no cash now, and either installments or a lump sum later, that's when we get into a either a medium or long term hold scenario. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And now, t- just to be clear for listeners, because I, I, I tell you what, the confusion that I see about the three offer strategy mm-hmm. is that people just people just hear people just hear the term, and then they mistranslate it to say, "Well, I'm going to offer them." 47 cash and also 49 cash and also you know like they, they, I,
0: maybe let me try talking through an example and let me know if I get confusing okay and if I do it clearly that'll be a win-win for everybody so let's say we have a house that's $100,000 and it needs $10,000 worth of work okay mm-hmm. so in this instance what I'm likely to do with my cash offer is I'm going to offer them 70% of the after-repaired value, which is $100,000, minus the repairs. So that's Mm $60,000. My next offer might be a total purchase price of $80,000. Okay, and with that $80,000, I'm going to give them... $5,000 at closing, and I'm going to pay them installments of maybe $500 a month. Mm -hmm. And my last offer might be the full purchase price of $100,000, and I will pay them at $500 a month until paid. And it's interesting because those are, you've, so those you've got basically a $60,000 offer, an $80,000 offer, and a $100,000 offer, which to me are all just fine. Okay, if I have the $10,000 to do the renovations, mm-hmm. I'll take that out of my pocket and I'll recover it in probably a little over a year, maybe 18 months. Mm-hmm. And from there on out, I'm in cash positive heaven hmm For a long period of time. If they take the $100,000 offer, I have no cash out of pocket other than the $10,000, okay, for the repairs. And again, I've basically negotiated a zero-interest loan. So in year one, I've created $6,000 in equity. Year two, another six. And I own the home free and clear in 200 months. Mm-hmm, hmm as opposed to your 360 month bank mortgage. Right? So I've saved 160 payments, not to mention at $500 a month, I'm saving $100 a month over a 6% bank loan, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, if you can find a 6% bank loan, I think you probably can these days. If you put 30% down, But if you look at how much I've paid at the end of 200 months versus what somebody else pays over the course of 360 months, a lot more money is going in my pocket in terms of saved interest and very quick equity Mm buildup.
1: All right, Augie, uh, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to more explore these ideas about creative finance Oh, uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, uh, talking actually for the first time ever here on Real Life Real Estate to Augie Bylot, who is a, a super well-known investor down in the Central Florida area. If you ever go down there. And you talk to other real estate investors, his name comes up an awful lot. And <laughs> for for that reason, uh, he's actually going to be speaking at the 2019 National Real Estate Investing Summit here in Cincinnati on October 31st through November 3rd. You know how to get more information on that. You just go to wmkvfm.org. And Augie is one of more than uh, 20 total presenters on topics that... that apply really well to a market that is uh, in, let us, let us just say the market is in flux in, in a lot of parts of the yes, country right is. now. And um, I, I, one of the things I've noticed in, in, I'm not going to say how many market cycles I've seen now, cause it makes me sound old, but um, <laughs> not you, Vena. Yeah, you've seen all the same ones. So shut up. Um, <laughs> the, the, the uh, when, 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 demand relaxes and especially when people find themselves facing financial issues because of a recession job loss that sort of thing that is a really good time to know seller financing cuz you can help a lot of people who they can't sell their house because either they owe too much or there's just nobody there to buy it from them and that there's There's no solutions coming from the, the standard real estate community, right? The, the agents don't typically know how to do this. Um, most of your competitors don't know how to do this. So when you're the one standing there saying, "Well, actually no, I can't pay enough cash to pay off your loan, but what I could do is take over your loan and you actually know how to do that, it's it's like a superpower when the market's changing.
0: It really is. And you know e- even the ability to raise private funds, private money, you know, in, in a market downturn, money runs to safety. And and right now, if you look at the stock market, it's been quite the roller coaster. And we have been seeing a lot of money coming off the table every time the market rises a little bit because people are just fearing when is that pin going to reach the balloon. And so, you know, learning to build a private money portfolio is another tool that is going to serve Investors incredibly well, you know, when the next significant move takes place. Mm -hmm. And it's not a matter of if it's going to take place, it's a matter of when. And nobody knows exactly when, which is why these kinds of techniques are so valuable to all real estate investors. And even the guys that do commercial use a lot of these techniques simply because they make sense and they create fluidity that doesn't exist in more traditional ways of buying and selling real estate. And what I mean by that, if you've already got financing in place, like you just mentioned, why take away that excellent tool? Instead, place that tool in the hands of someone who knows what to do with it, and that absolves the seller of the risk of losing their credit And all the angst that goes with falling into a foreclosure scenario. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's just another one of the the techniques that we've used very effectively to help people move on. And it's kind of interesting because we're actually closing on a transaction on Friday, which is a house that we took. We took over the payments back in 2006. that's 13 years ago and it was funny because i was talking with the folks we purchased the house from the other day because somehow i misplaced the form with some of their information and we've stayed in touch over the years and so i said hey can you help me out here and they said absolutely and they're thrilled that it's finally being paid off but they've moved on with their life they purchased another home they had gone through the husband lost his job due to a health problem he had missed two payments. He knew he couldn't make a third. He called me. We sat down. We were able to give him and his wife $5,000 to move, and we purchased the property. We've been making payments on that same property for the last 13 years, and we had actually sold the property on a Wrap-around instrument, so we sold it creatively. In addition to having bought it creatively, and our buyers went through a divorce after ten years mm. in the property. Mm-hmm. They didn't fight; they just gave the property back because we used. I think in in your market, you use installment land contracts.
1: Yes, mm-hmm.
0: we use something called a, a, an agreement for deed. Works exactly the same way, and so we turned around, we took the property back, we cleaned it up. We decided we would retail it, which we did, cuz we're not working in that particular part of the market anymore. And buyer came along very quickly and we closed in the next few days. And the interesting thing about it was that I had gotten a call from this seller who had missed the two payments originally about five or six months after we did the transaction and I was surprised. Why are these, I saw his name pop up on the phone. I said, hi, it's Augie Violet. How can I help? And he said, Hey, I just wanted to call and tell you. Thank you. I said, for what? He goes, my credit score has gone up a hundred (laughs) points because you pay on the first of the month, every month. And so, you know, at the time I hadn't thought of that as being a residual benefit of the service we provide, but we actually hope his credit score improves.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact that he was able to buy another house after <laughs> after missing two payments on that one, uh, you know, is is, is a, a huge uh a huge benefit of having somebody who can make the payments make the payments. And I, I think the the interesting um uh side note to that story is if I'm guessing that if you had bought that house for cash in 2006, you would have seriously regretted it by
0: 2008. Oh, you bet! You the, bet! That yeah, was they, the top were of the a market. Tight days there, you know, we were able to rent it, and but you know, it it did not come out come without some work. I mean, anything that you know usually gives you a return is going to require some work because we refinanced the bad second that the guy had put on the property at 13 percent. And that you know that that's what I think got him in hot water, not as he had a good good first, but his second was not so good, but we were able to take it over. We replaced the second mortgage, kept the first current, kept the second current, and we were able to wrap the whole package and sell it to somebody, and by them making payments over a ten year period, we paid both of those mortgages down pretty significantly, and the value has risen a bit since 2005. You know, the peak of the market was 2006. And, um, you know, so we, we, we will cash a nice check. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And, and it, was the, it was the fact that you had this, this good financing that really somebody else had originated. I mean, he, he's the one who qualified Correct. for the loan back when. Uh, that, that allowed you to carry it through a, a, a time in the market when a lot of people were losing everything. Because they had, you know, twelve percent hard money loans on properties, or they had, yes, you know, they had they had um, deals that they had bought at the top of the market that could not support themselves. So that's uh, that's another interesting uh, thing about this is if you get the right financing, yeah, you don't like it when the market crashes, because on paper. <laughs> oh yeah, on paper I lost six
0: hundred thousand dollars when the market crashed, but. None of our tenants defaulted. We had one person, we lowered their rent about $50 a month. And at the time, we probably had, I don't know, 40 or 50 units. And the thing that was so fascinating about it was as soon as that couple moved, when their lease expired, the rent went back up to where it was before. So there was no rental crisis, but there was definitely... A housing crisis, mm-hmm. from a pricing perspective, but we're very, very disciplined when we buy, and that's the most important thing. The only times I've ever gotten in hot water in this business is when I wasn't disciplined, uh-huh. and so you know I've been in it long enough now that being disciplined is, is thing number one.
1: Oh, yeah, you know um, Shakespeare
0: said, "To thine own self be true." I
1: wasn't kidding. <laughs> uh, Augie, we need to take uh, one last break here. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vena Jones-Cox, having a conversation today with Augie Bylot from Central Florida, who has done a lot in the real estate world, as you have heard so far. But, uh especially loves various types of creative finance. Um we've only really kind of been able to touch on a couple of them, the seller held financing and the uh what is commonly called subject to deal where you take over somebody else's payments. Um I, we, we literally only have like eight minutes left. I know it like went <laughs> as it always does. 2%. It went it went very, very quickly. Uh, I want to I want to talk about um, what what you see as you go around and teach about creative finance, biggest Mm -hmm. mistakes you see people making because this this is one of those fields where I just can't say enough. Don't do it unless you understand it. Like bad things can happen (laughs) to to you and your seller and your buyers if you don't understand what you're doing so so what are what are some of the things that you see folks doing wrong when they don't quite get it
0: well yeah thing number one is not knowing how to properly document your deal and clearly in black and white set out the expectations of both parties what i mean by that is if you're taking over the payments on someone's mortgage They should be signing some sort of a disclosure that says, I know exactly what's happening here. I know what you're doing. I'm fine with it. And I realize the mortgage is staying in my name and the house is transferring to you. That's a really important disclosure to protect the investor. And without that, you put yourself in harm's way. That's number one. Number two is not changing the insurance properly because, When we take over payments on an existing mortgage, we place the property title into a land trust. And who is the named insured? The trust. Well, what happens to the borrower? Where do they show up on the policy? Because that's the place that the bank is going to look and say, hey, what's going on? So they should be listed as an additional insured. Mm -hmm. Now, also at closing, they should be giving you a limited power of attorney. That limited power of attorney is going to give you the right to deal with the bank as well as any insurance-related matters. So this way, you're setting yourself up for success, Mm -hmm. and you're also setting the seller up for success. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily ever want that house back, (laughs) but if you buy a house and cannot make the payments, you can make their life worse, not better. So, you really have to make sure you have the depth and the capacity to honor your obligations.
1: Right. And
0: that's so important. And you should have some sort of a guide or a mentor that's done this before. And not somebody that's like one class ahead of you, (laughs) okay, but somebody who actually has done this successfully. Not somebody who learned it on YouTube? I mean, what about YouTube? YouTube YouTube can teach me anything. Yeah, if YouTube you can learn anything. Badly
1: sometimes, (laughs)
0: yes. Well, that's the problem. And if you don't have somebody you can ask questions to, the other thing is, you know, who are your team members? You know, because title companies across America and attorneys, you know, many times say, hey, we are investor friendly. I don't want a friend at the title company. (laughs) I want an investor knowledgeable title company. I want one that understands these you know various and sundry transactions. I want them to understand you know our notes, our mortgages, the documentation that we use, the disclosures that we require, because I'm in the business of not just protecting myself, but I want the seller to be protected. You know, I have students. I want them to be protected. It's really important. That, you know, when I work with my own RIA, as an example, and, and people that are in the RIA, they come to me and say, hey, I think I'm going to do this. I had a guy come to a meeting one night and he goes, I just did my first Subject 2 transaction. We all, all applauded him. And we said, wow, that's great. What's the monthly payment? He goes, $3,200. I said, wow, that's a pretty big payment. What does it rent for? He goes, about 1800 <laughs> I said, oh, really? I said, how are you going to make up the difference so you can pay the bank? And in front of a room of like forty people, he said, You mean I have to make payments? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Son, you gotta go and unwind this deal immediately. Yes. You know? So and and you know, it was one of these things where he goes, And I can get it for two twenty five. I said, What's it worth? He goes, About one ninety now <laughs> but it'll go up. I said, Oh my heavens.
1: And and that so- is that is not That is not atypical. I mean, that's a that's an extreme example you just gave right there. But but
0: it blew my mind. That's one of the things I love about this business. You know, it is just you can't write fiction that is (laughs) as entertaining as the truth.
1: You can't make this
0: stuff. stuff You run into with people in this business.
1: Yeah, and it's But,
0: but the key is know before you go. I guess that's probably. The best word to the wise,
1: right? And 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 know what your documentation needs to be look like look like in your state, because there could be mm-hmm. variations. I mean, if you live in Texas, you're going to be using different documents than if you live in a state that uses mortgages and notes instead of trust deeds. And that's right. Um, no, know, know if there's any. You know, some states have particular laws that can impact some of this. Uh, you know, going back to Texas, they have a, a lease op- lease option land contract legislation that you better mm-hmm. know if you're going to. Approach those things, and the 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 example you just gave of the uh, guy at Urea, I mean, you just basically have to know what numbers on a property actually look like because I I hear it all the time that somebody will say, I took over an eighteen hundred dollar payment, and I say, what is it rent for, and they say nineteen hundred, so I'm making a hundred a month. Yes. And you're not making a hundred a month if you have an eighteen hundred dollar payment. You no, know, you're and... probably
0: losing about four to five hundred. <laughs>
1: exactly. And they
0: forget about taxes, insurance, maintenance, management, repairs, you know yeah. advertising and vacancy. You know, there's seven basic expenses on a rental unit mm-hmm. that do not go away.
1: Mm-hmm. And it and it is so important. I mean, like it it in the case of creative finance deals, it is really incumbent on us as the investors to know what we are doing because our counterparts, who are typically civilian sellers, mm-hmm. don't they? They they're they don't know, right? They're not going to be able to <laughs> come to us and say, "Wait a minute, are you sure you can cover this payment with the rent?" They don't know, so it becomes even more our responsibility to make sure we have all of our I's dotted and all of our T's crossed because we are dealing with other human beings who trust us to do this deal and we better be able to do what we said we were going to do.
0: And to document it. I mean, document, document, document. It's just, it's so important. You know, that's one of the things that I think differentiates us from a lot of our competition because we'll submit our offers in writing. So many other people. say, Hey, I'll give you this. Give me a call if you want to take it. Hmm. And that seldom works out.
1: <laughs> Very true. Very true. All right. Well, I, I really look forward to seeing your presentation up here in Cincinnati on uh, November first, second, and third, Augie. Um, I think you got a. I think you've got a, a a really good perspective on the whole concept of creative financing. You clearly don't play it fast and loose. <laughs> with your,
0: No, no. I'm too old to play it fast and loose at this point. I, you know, <laughs> you do this stuff long enough, you better get good at it or it's not going to work out for your retirement plan.
1: Yes. And we've
0: taken our, our lives to a whole different level, you know, with creative financing and now we've taken it to a level of philanthropy. And so, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I do for a long time to come because we have bigger things that we, that we want to accomplish. And it really empowers us to do those kinds of things. Well,
1: great. I look forward to seeing you up here in Cincinnati. And listeners, if you want to know more about the summit, just go to wmkvfm.org. That's wmkvfm.org for more information. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.